We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8.28 God, I thank you for this reminder that you are always at work in my heart and life, always working everything together for my good and your glory. No matter how it looks, no matter how I feel, I know I can trust you. I know that you love me and that I love you. I know I've been called and chosen by you, and I have a future and a hope. I have a purpose and destiny, and nothing and no one can take this away from me. I thank you for breathing new life and fresh courage into me today. I thank you that you never give up on me. You haven't finished with me. You have great things in store for me. I thank you that you have always provided everything I need to overcome every obstacle I face. You have given me unique talents and abilities, special skills and life experiences that equip me to fulfill your calling. It's an honor, my joy and delight, to serve you, Lord, and to do the work of your kingdom. Show me others who need hope and encouragement today, others who need your love. Show me people I can motivate and inspire and lead. Let me share with them the blessing you have given me. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay tuned to immerse yourself in the greatest stories ever told from Pray.com's podcast, Heroes in the Bible. Hello, my name is Matthew Potter, co-founder of Pray.com. And before we start today's episode of Heroes in the Bible, I wanted to ask, do you know what your bank does with your money? At America's Christian Credit Union, your everyday banking helps grow churches, expand the reach of missions agencies, and supports fellow believers across the country. Learn more about specials for switching to ACCU and their nationwide banking capabilities at americaschristiancu.com forward slash pray. Plus, the peace of mind knowing that this credit union is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. Hi, I'm Dr. Tony Evans, and I'm excited for you to join me on Heroes in the Bible. Please be sure to follow the podcast on Apple or Spotify so you get the newest episodes right as they come out. Welcome to the Epic Adventure of David, a story of honor, battle, jealousy, darkness, friendship, love, scandal, and murder. While most people know of David the myth, few know about David the man. In this episode, David finally receives a crown on his head. The wait is over, and everything will finally be as it should. Peace will be restored, poverty will end, war will cease, and the nation will be united forever, right? If only it were that simple. Yes, David is crowned the king in this episode, but it is not a perfect coronation. In fact, half the nation will not support him. Sorrow, loss, backbiting, and opportunism muddy the waters of this episode. We must remember something very important. David's story is a beautiful narrative, but it is also a real story. It is not crafted like a predictable fiction. David was a real historical figure living in a real time in history. There were wars, politics, and scandals. 
My friend, brace yourself for the second half of David's story. Unfortunately, the innocence of sheep herding, slaying giants, and rescuing damsels in distress is over. David is going to be a king, and it will take more than a heart of gold to lead a nation. Our hero is going to navigate politics, civil unrest, famine, scandal, betrayal, and murders. We want all our heroes to ride in and save the day without any mess or dysfunction. But as we will learn in the prelude, redeeming a people is messy business. To do what must be done, a great leader must sacrifice himself. That is what Jesus did. It will be what David is called to do. Let's begin a new phase of David's adventure in episode 18, A Sorrowful Coronation. Prelude to Chapter 18 Word had spread that Jesus was coming. He had healed the lepers, restored sight to the blind, fed thousands of people, raised the dead, and spoke power over demons. The people were ready to coronate him as king. So they gathered in numbers big enough to make an army. They were ready for a coronation. Yet Jesus would not be crowned with gold, but thorns. Jesus descended the hill towards God's holy city. At the gates, a sea of people awaited him. They parted away for Jesus to enter in, cheering. They shouted for joy at the sight of him. Hosanna! They cried out. Their cheers shook the earth below. The entire city was rising like a tide to meet the Son of Man. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord! They shouted louder. Women sang a song of hope. Their melodies filled the skies. People from all different nations and nationalities had come every year to worship God at the temple. Yet this year, they gazed upon the active and moving presence of God. They laid out palm fronds to make a pathway for Jesus. Some of them even removed their own cloaks for him to walk upon. They saw Jesus as the chosen hero that would liberate them from the tight grip of Roman oppression. They gazed upon Jesus as someone worthy to be called king. They saw him as a wise and noble ruler, destined to sit on the throne of David. They wanted him to rule over them and restore Israel to its former glory. They desired a conquering warrior who would defeat the armies of tyranny and bring blessing to the people of God once again. As they sang to Jesus, there was a slight tinge of disappointment. He did not ride on a white stallion with armor glistening in the sun. He came riding on a donkey. Jesus was not the king they expected. He was powerful, mighty, and able to thwart the corrupt nations of the age. Yet his mission was not to overthrow a worldly government. His fight was not with Caesar or Herod. There was a greater enemy that had enslaved humanity since the Garden of Eden. Greater than Pharaoh, greater than Goliath and the Philistines. Jesus held his gaze high to the end of the city. The hill of Golgotha loomed like a dragon's den. Calvary awaited him. The people sang along to their instruments. Their praise filled the air like a sweet aroma. Yet Jesus knew what they would be chanting in just a few days. Blessed is the King! Blessed is the Son of David! They proclaimed. The Pharisees were also there, awaiting the opportunity to strike Jesus down. Aren't you going to muzzle your disciples, Jesus? They are calling you God! Jesus looked back at them. Even if I did silence them, the stones themselves would cry out. As Jesus said this, he entered the gates of Jerusalem 
The entirety of scripture was leading up to this moment. The crescendo of God's story thus far was about to unfold. It was the beginning of the end. Chapter 18 A Sorrowful Coronation Flames engulfed the battlefield of Mount Gilboa. Bodies of slain Israelites were consumed by the raging fire set by the Philistines. The war-mongering enemies of Israel had vanquished the mighty King Saul and his warrior son, Jonathan. At the corner of the battlefield, laying lifeless in the blood-soaked dirt, was the King of Israel, his own sword sticking out through his back. The once gold and shimmering armor was covered in ash. The crown atop his head had fallen to the side. Standing over that body was a young Amalekite man. The battle was over, and he was there to scavenge. He looked down at the king with dismay. The mighty Saul had fallen to his own sword. The young man knelt down and picked up the crown. He rubbed off some of the ash with his fingers, admiring the fine jewels. He put the crown in his pack, along with the royal amulet hanging around the king's neck. All of a sudden, the Amalekite scavenger heard a shout from behind. You there! Stop! A group of Philistine soldiers had caught him with the dead king. They wanted the crown and all the spoils for themselves. Arrows flew towards him, and the soldiers mounted their horses in pursuit of him. He swiftly scaled the rocks above Saul's body and escaped. Into the night, he ran for his life. The descending light was filtered dark red from the plumes of smoke rising in the sky. Hues of red covered the valley below. It was as if the entire sky was bleeding. It was an ominous sight for the weary Amalekite scavenger. He had finally escaped the Philistines and found himself wandering the countryside outside the region of Gath. If I try to sell the crown, people will know I defiled the body of a king. The scavenger thought to himself. I must give it to someone who will give me favor in return for it. The scavenger held the crown in his hands. It was heavier than it looked. The gold and jewels did not shine because of the blood and ash that covered it. This crown belongs to the next king, he thought again to himself. The scavenger put the crown back in his pack and quickened his pace towards the land of Ziklag. A certain man residing in the country would need to hear the news of Saul's death. David awoke that night in a cold sweat. Visions of bloodshed flooded his mind. He rose from his bed, with Abigail still sleeping soundly, and walked outside. The air was pleasantly cold to David who needed a fresh breath. Many of his men had retreated to their homes for the evening. All was still and peaceful. David enjoyed the silence of the night. It reminded him of his time tending to sheep in the wilderness of Bethlehem. Often, he would lay back and gaze at the stars while the sheep slept and pray silently to the Lord. He was always faithful to listen to his prayers. In all seasons, David found himself connected to the heart of God in deep ways. David closed his eyes and breathed in the crisp air. Into the peaceful night, he sang a song of praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. David's voice was a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. In David was a heart that sought after his own. Even in his imperfections and failures, God was moving and at work in his life. He would not leave him or forsake him. David rose his arms to the night sky and sang. He smiled, knowing that the favor of the Lord would never leave him. The next morning, 
David and his men tended to the rebuilding of Ziklag. With the new wealth they gained from the battle against the Amalekites, they were able to buy lumber, tools, and bricks. Things were looking up for the army of outcasts. Their wives and children were safe, and they had more wealth than they could have ever imagined. The men hummed as they worked, laughed, and rejoiced in their good fortune. The men ceased their work when they heard a cry from the hills above them. A figure wearing tattered clothes and dirt on his face descended swiftly down the stony ground. The Amalekite scavenger came closer into view, and David put his sword back in his sheath. The young man was clearly not a threat. He stumbled forward in front of David, heaving from a long journey. My lord, David! He shouted. I have come bearing news. Where have you come from? David asked, handing the young man his wineskin. The scavenger took a drink and nodded in gratitude. I have escaped from the camp of Israel. There was a great battle between them and the Philistines. The entire group of men paused what they were doing and listened intently. They were supposed to march with the Philistines against Saul and his army before the Lord saved them. David was especially anxious to hear how the battle had gone. His heart began to pound faster. Tell me all that you know. The scavenger bowed his head to David. The king is dead, he said despondently. David's hands began to tremble. Pain welled up in his eyes. What about the son of the king? What of Jonathan? He has also fallen. How do you know these things? How could you know for certain that they are dead? David was losing his composure. The young man brought out the crown from his pack and placed it in David's hands. I was not a part of the battle. I was an onlooker at Mount Gilboa. I saw the king leaning on his own spear. He had tried to take his life before the Philistines got to him. However, he failed. Wounded and dying slowly, he beckoned me near when he saw me and told me to finish him off before the Philistines got to him. So I stood beside him and drove his own dagger through his heart. He died in my arms. That is when I took the crown and his amulet to give to you. The Amalekite scavenger lied to elevate his own importance in the story. Yet the truth of Saul's death remained. The king had fallen, and Jonathan, the heir to the throne, had also fallen. David held the crown in his trembling hands. He said nothing. He stepped away from the rest of the men towards the fields and sat there. He stared blankly at the green horizon. Saul, the mad king who had sought to kill him, was dead. Jonathan, his most loyal friend, was also dead. The pillars of the past kingdom had been toppled and destroyed. Now it was time for a new kingdom to emerge, a kingdom born from devotion, not jealousy, humility and not pride, honor instead of hatred. David tore his clothes and yelled into the heavens. He mourned the loss of his dear friend and his beloved king. Despite everything, he had still loved Saul. His death marked the end of running. It was time to press forward. The entire village of Ziklag tore their clothes and mourned the death of the king. The wind whistled through the canyons. David looked up to the horizon with tears streaming down his face. He rose and shouted a song of mourning to the heavens. The wind carried his voice, and the melodies of sorrow filled the skies. The glory of Israel has been slain. Oh, how the mighty have fallen! David's song cut the hearts of those who were behind him listening. They could feel his pain. It was deep, bleeding like a wound into his words. 
mountains of Gilboa, where the king and his son were slain. May your ground have no rain fallen upon you, for the shield of the mighty was defiled on your soil. The blood of the slain testifies that Jonathan's bow did not turn back and hide, and the sword of the king did not return empty. David's voice cracked as he held back tears. He thought of his beloved friend and once called father. He bent his knees and lifted his palms to the air in lament. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were as swift as eagles and more valiant than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over your king. Oh, how the mighty have fallen in the scourges of battle. Jonathan, my beloved Jonathan, lies slain in the high places. I am distressed for you, my brother, Jonathan. Your love for me was more precious than the love of a woman. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Oh, how the weapons of war perished. Evening came swiftly, and David's weary eyes were red from tears. He wrapped the royal robe Jonathan had once given him around his shoulders and sat by the fire. The Amalekite scavenger sat a few yards away, staring intently at David. He looked at him eagerly, as if he was expecting some sort of reward. David peered at the young man, seeing his arrogance leak through the humble surface. Tell me, David said sternly, where do you come from? The young scavenger perked up and rolled his shoulders back. I am the son of a traveler. I am an Amalekite by birth, but have not called one place my home in many years, he said with a smile. David did not return his smile. He leaned over the fire and stared right through it to the Amalekite. So you are a traveler, David asked. The man nodded. You have no nation. So that must be why you do not respect the dignity of kings. David's tone made the young man uncomfortable. He stirred in his seat, not sure how to respond. David stood up and gestured for Abishai to come to his side. He raised his sword towards the Amalekite and said, How is it that you felt no shame killing the Lord's anointed? You come to me with a smile and a crown. What did you expect from me? Favor? For killing the king? You were mistaken if you thought his death would bring me peace. And you, Sojourner, are responsible for the death of a king. Before the young scavenger could explain his lies, Abishai lifted him off his seat and took him behind the tent. Swiftly and without hesitation, he thrust a blade straight through the Amalekite's neck, executed for a lie he did not need to tell. The sun rose the next morning, as it did every morning since the beginning of time itself. The birds arose from their nests and welcomed the morning light with a song. The flowers opened their petals, ready to embrace the sun and welcome the day. On the surface, it was a morning like any other. An unremarkable sunrise floated over the valleys of Ziklag, and the men began their work early, tending to livestock and building homes. However, it was a different morning for David. 
Prompted by the Lord, he arose before the sunrise and scaled the mountain above. He looked as the dark valley was draped in light. David watched as the dark, cold earth received the warmth of the morning. He realized that Israel was in need of that same warmth. Darkened from years of Saul's unstable reign had left them despondent, and the loss to the Philistines had left them vulnerable. They were in need of the light of the Lord, and David felt a great burden to reveal it to them. The young shepherd turned his face to the sun, receiving its kind touch against his skin. He smiled and looked beyond the valley towards the land of Israel, the land promised to Abraham and conquered by Joshua. Shall I step into the land again? He asked the Lord. Perhaps the cities of Judah will receive me. David's nearness to the Lord made his answer unmistakable. Like the affirming nod of a loving father, the Lord spoke, saying, Go up and see what I have for you. Where should I go? I do not know who will embrace me after being gone. The morning breeze galloped across the plains below, then whistled up to where David stood. To Hebron. The Lord answered David. There was a shift in the voice of the Lord, a change in temperature. David could feel a similar presence as when he was anointed as king by Samuel. In that moment, overlooking the plains of Ziklag, the Lord anointed David again as king. David closed his eyes and smiled. His heart welled up with gratitude towards his God. He was ready to serve him and serve his people. With strength in every step, David descended the mountain down to the village. They gathered around their leader, wondering what the Lord had told him. David scanned the crowd of men and women that followed him faithfully for so long. They shed their blood for him and endured a great deal of hardship. His mighty men had faithfully given their swords. Now they were going to be rewarded. David lifted his voice to them, shouting with hope in his voice, To Judah we march! To Judah we embrace our destiny! A tidal wave of praise lifted from their voices. Together they packed their belongings, gathered their families, and ventured forth towards Hebron of Judah. David walked ahead of the people like Moses so long ago. He set a good pace, being sure no one was left behind. Next to him were Abishai, Benaiah, Joshobim, Eleazar, and Shammah, the faithful and mighty men who had served him faithfully. He turned to Shammah and gestured back to the crowd. Shammah, go and find me Asahel. He is the fastest of us all. Tell him to tell the leaders of Judah that I am on my way. I would very much like to meet with them to discuss protecting Israel. Do not say anything about the throne. We are coming to serve. I do not want them thinking we are being opportunistic. We are coming back to protect our home. Shammah retrieved Asahel and gave him the message. He also slipped him the crown of Saul and told him to keep it safe. The next thing David saw was the long and muscular young man bolting past him with purpose. Asahel ran ahead, sure to gain at least a day on them. David's heart fluttered in his chest. He did not know what sort of welcoming he would receive. He is the champion of our people and has protected us even in exile. One of the elders shouted. The entire group of elders from the tribe of Judah gathered around a fire talking of David. The king's crown rested on a table beside the fire. The flames reflected in the newly polished gold. Asahel leaned back in the corner, 
weary from his journey and enjoying a bowl of broth as the men deliberated. There is still a living heir from Saul, his youngest son, Ishbosheth. To embrace David as king would be treason. Another elder shouted. Another elder raised his voice. Saul failed us as king and as kinsman. The Philistines are camped at our borders waiting to finish us off. We need a real leader, one who will lead with strength. The boy Ishbosheth would be king in name only. We all know Abner, Saul's commander, is the one making the decisions. I say we put a real king on the throne. The men continued to debate and consider their options. The people of Judah cried out for David. However, the throne by birthright belonged to Ishbosheth, Saul's remaining son. The elders of the remaining cities also held fast to Ishbosheth and Abner. To anoint David as their king would be to start a civil war. It would tear the nation in two. However, despite the arguments, there was a clear decision to be made among them. The Lord had already spoken and had been speaking since the day David slew the giant Goliath. He was the true and chosen king, and the people of Judah would be behind him come what may. David and his men arrived on the outskirts of Hebron. They were weary from days of travel, but could not yet rest. Saul had spent much of his time in pursuit of David's life. They were not sure if the people of Judah had been poisoned with lies. Were they still outcasts and exiles? David prayed that his message was well received yet there was no way of knowing until they entered the cities of Judah. With trepidation and much fear, David approached the city of Hebron. Great walls surrounded its border, and behind them David could hear music. The ground beneath their feet vibrated from the sound of people cheering. The gates opened, and bursting forth from behind was an entire city cheering and singing praise to the hero of Israel. The elders had gathered them to welcome David as their new king. Tears welled up in David's eyes as he scanned the crowd. A sea of faces beaming with hopeful smiles, singing praises to the Lord that the new king had come. David and his mighty men were ushered into the center of the city, where the elders awaited him. David approached the steps leading up to the platform, where the elders and priests stood. In their hands was the crown of the king. David looked back at Shammah. He gave a sly smile. The elders silenced the crowd and looked down at David. The giant slayer, the champion of Israel, God's anointed. We gather here to affirm in you the calling of the Lord. You have protected our people from the enemy, even when the country considered you to be an outlaw. King Saul is dead, and now it is time to look forward. Behold, you are now king of Judah. The elders placed the crown atop David's light curls. The shepherd stood to his feet, and the crowd erupted in praise. The shepherd of Bethlehem was now king, king of God's people, the forerunner for an even greater king that would come after him, a king that would not just redeem a nation, but the entire world. Jesus was not crowned with gold, but thorns. This is one of the most important preludes we have listened to yet. Before David is crowned king, we need to understand how God crowns himself as king. While the world looks for polished and illustrious coronations, Jesus rode on a donkey and wore a crown of thorns, eventually enduring shame and torture for his people. 
Jesus, having the opportunity to be crowned a king, chose to instead take the form of a servant. David will be expected to do the same, and we will eagerly wait to see if he succeeds. After the prelude, we are brought back to the battlefield where Saul fell on his sword. Desolation surrounds his lifeless corpse, and a lone scavenger loots his crown and amulet. The undignified sight reminds us that death equalizes us all and shows no honor to kings. Saul, a king, died a gruesome and inglorious death, and in the end, his belongings are taken and his body is shamed. This scene is meant to signal to us the fragility of the throne. Saul died, and everything seemed to crumble at once. Putting our hope in worldly leaders and institutions is risky business, since they can come and go in an instant. What we put our hope in today may fail us tomorrow. How silly it seems to put our unwavering trust in fragile figures and systems. The scavenger in the beginning of this episode is an important figure as well. He represents the choppy and hazardous transition from one king to another. The entire interaction between him and David gives us yet another painful reminder that this whole shift from King Saul to King David will not be pretty. The interchange between the scavenger and David starts off terrible. He brings David Saul's crown with hope that he will be rewarded. However, he's dishonest. We've already seen what dishonesty can do. The scavenger tries to elevate his own importance in the story, unaware that he was implicating himself as the king's murderer. It was such an unnecessary lie, too. He paid a hefty price for it. This doubles down on the idea that David did not hate Saul. He could not tolerate the man who claimed to kill him, even as an act of mercy. David is destroyed by Saul's death. But even more heartbreaking is the loss of Jonathan. The passing of Saul and Jonathan was more than a tragedy. It was a transition. Saul the father and Jonathan the brother died, ushering in David's adulthood. This is a deep psychological phenomenon that plays itself out in stories. Oftentimes, the transition from boyhood to manhood is represented by the death of a father, signifying the passing of the proverbial torch. Another phenomenon is the surpassing of the brother and going further than he was able to go. David mourns their loss, as he should, but then gets right to work. It is every leader's job to honor the past while looking forward to the future. David will have to respect Saul's legacy while making up for his past sins. This concept is parsed out for us when David watches the sunrise. David watched as the dark, cold earth received the warmth of the morning. He realized that Israel was in need of that same warmth. Darker from the years of Saul's unstable reign had left them despondent, and the loss of the Philistines had left them vulnerable. They were in need of the light of the Lord, and David felt a great burden to reveal it to them. David, from the get-go, feels a responsibility to surpass his predecessor. We should all hope to do better than the generation before us, and we can only pray that the generation after us surpasses us. Just as Jesus did not come to be served but to serve, David prepares his men to serve. He plans on protecting the people whether they crown him as king or not. This introduces another important theme for us, and that is the theme of character. David passionately protected Israel when he was a shepherd, a prince, an exile, 
and the king. He had the same focus and mission whether he was beloved or hated. It may be a cliche, but I will say it anyway. Character is who you are when nobody's watching. David was the same in the cave of Abilom as he was in the palace of the king. People pleasers will act a certain way around those they are trying to please, but act differently when nobody is around to praise them. True men and women of God hold themselves accountable no matter who is present because they know God is always there. David is coming to the rescue. Meanwhile, the men of Judah are debating about who should be king. Israel has already named Ishbosheth, Saul's last remaining son, king, but Judah is not so certain about him. Judah was the largest and most powerful tribe of Israel, essentially standing as a nation of its own, and they are more inclined to choose the giant slayer. Did you think David's rise to power would be simple or easy? It was neither. The next few episodes will feature a dark turn for the nation of Israel. Civil war is brewing, and David will be at the center of it. It seems so clear to us what the right decision is, so why does it seem so hard for Israel? We have the benefit of hindsight. Think about all the twists and turns of your life. Think about all the wrong decisions you made, but in the moment, you thought you were right. Who we are now will be the person we laugh at 20 years from now. That's what it means to grow. Israel will grow and realize their mistakes eventually, but now Ishbosheth is their king. Judah, however, crowns God's chosen hero to rule over them. David was received with praise and singing. For the first time in years, he receives the love and affection of his nation. Unlike Saul, the praise does not go to his head. David knows that everything he has is thanks to God. He also knows that he is not the real hero of this story. Later, revealed in some of his psalms, he will prophesy of a better king. In Psalm 110, he will sing, The Lord says to my king, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David sings about a different king who will make his enemies his footstool. However, the enemy he fights will not be a foreign nation or a radical king. It will be death itself. David knows somewhere deep within his spirit that he is the forerunner for someone greater, a king that would not just redeem a nation, but the entire world. In the next episode, sin and death crouch like lions ready to devour Israel. Will David be up to the political and spiritual challenge? Find out in episode 19, A Civil War Begins. Thank you for listening. For more inspiring stories, daily prayers, and wisdom to last a lifetime, go to pray.com. And to expand your heroes in the Bible journey, download the Heroes of the Faith devotional at TonyEvans.org forward slash heroes. Follow the podcast on Apple or Spotify to get the newest episodes right as they come out and always be inspired by the Bible. God bless. Hello, my name is Matthew Potter, co-founder of Pray.com. I wanted to ask, do you know what your bank does with your money? At America's Christian Credit Union, your everyday banking helps grow churches, expand the reach of missions agencies, and supports fellow believers across the country. Learn more about specials for switching to ACCU and their nationwide banking capabilities at americaschristiancu.com forward slash pray. Plus, the peace of mind knowing that this credit union is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration.